So tonight I want to speak about one person who we haven't spoken much about, and that is Leah. We really haven't spoken much about Leah, and she's going to be the focus of tonight. We'll touch a little bit about Rachel, Rachel, once again, um, because they are intertwined in many ways. But we'll be focusing, I guess, a little bit more on Leah. So it's fascinating that if you look on the first source in the book of Ruth, so hundreds of years after the lifetime of Leah and Rachel, um, we have an episode where Boaz, Boaz is actually a descendant of Leah. He is a descendant from the line of Judah, of Yehuda. And, um, and we're not going to go through the whole story of Ruth, but Ruth is a Moabite convert, and she ends up marrying Boaz. So in chapter four, towards the end of the book of Ruth, so they marry. And, um, and then in verse 11 there, it says, all the people who were in the gate and the elders replied after this, we are witnesses to this marriage. And then they give them a blessing. And the blessing is, may the Lord make the woman who is entering your house like Rachel and like Leah, both of whom built up the house of Israel. That is the blessing that the elders give to Boaz and to Ruth. May the Lord make, or really to Boaz, I guess, they're blessing him that Ruth, Rus, should be like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built up the house of Israel. So that is quite a blessing, and it's, it's quite a statement about Leah and Rachel. We are taught here that they are the ones who built the house of Israel. And the Chavetz Chaim, Rabbi Yisrael Meir Kagan, explains that it's not simply that they built the house of Israel, meaning everybody descends from them, which is true, that the all 12, well, it's only partially true because there were, because Yaakov actually had four wives. He had Leah and Rachel, and then he had their maidservants as well. And his 12 sons came from those four wives. Um, so it's not even true that all the descendants come necessarily from Leah and Rachel. But what it means is that sort of along the lines of what we've been saying about the patriarchs and matriarchs in general, which is they are the building blocks. They are the roots of our nation. And in a certain way, it seems maybe even more so than, than the earlier matriarchs, um, Rebecca, Rivka, and Sarah and Sarah, these are given special importance, Rachel and Leah, and described as the ones who upon whom the house of Israel is built, they must have imbued us, our nation, with something very special. And it's not just the descendants of Rachel are imbued with whatever Rachel had and the descendants of Leah are, are imbued with whatever Leah had, but they both are the, the building blocks. They both built the house of Israel and, and they're the descendants of Israel, the, the nation of Israel, has within us, we, we have within us the traits of both Rachel and Leah. So what are these special traits? What are the essential traits of Leah and Rachel that have been passed down to the Jewish people? So the Midrash teaches us the following. It's source number two. It tells us Leah grasped the spindle of gratitude. That's the expression that it uses. That was her expertise was gratitude. In Hebrew, hoda'ah, the ability to give thanks. And 
we actually see that in her offspring. We see that she had offspring who were very good at giving thanks, giving praise to God. So it first says Yehuda. Where do we see that Yehuda gave Hoda? So it actually kind of throws us for a, for a loop here because it doesn't actually give an example where he gave thanks or where he praised. It gives an example of something else. It says, Yehuda recognized and said she is more correct than I. What, is, what episode is this referring to? It's referring to the episode of Yehuda and Tamar. Tamar seduces Yehuda to, to lie with him. He falls to that. There's a whole reason why she did it. In the end, she kind of sets him up to, to show that he was the one that did it, and he admits to it. And that is Yehuda admitting to it. He could have denied it. He could have just, because uh, she gave him sort of the opportunity, she didn't single him out. He, but he admitted it, and that's the example that he gives. So we'll have to really come back to understand that because we're saying that grateful people descended from her, and then it says Yehuda admitted that it was him, but that doesn't seem to fit into what we're looking for. So we'll put that one on hold for now. Then it continues and it says, David, King David, who's a descendant of Yehuda, Yehuda was one of Leah's sons. King David, the lying of David descends from Yehuda. So David said, give thanks to Hashem for he is good, for his kindness endures forever. Hodu Hashem kitov, ki leolam chasto. Right? And throughout Psalms, you know, King David is the master of praise and the master of thanks. So it's very befitting that he would descend from Leah, who was the, who mastered the ability to give thanks. And finally, it says, um, Daniel, Daniel was also a descendant of Leah. And there it says in the book of Daniel, to you, the God of my ancestors, I thank and praise you. So we see a pattern in the line, in the lineage of Leah, that they are experts in giving thanks. And this is because this was something that Leah mastered. Where do we see Leah give thanks? So we see her give thanks when she has her fourth son, Yehuda. And that's the, if you look in source three and you skip to the final verse in that number, verse 35, it says, and she conceived again and bore a son. And she said, this time I will thank the Lord. This time I will thank the Lord. And she named him Yehuda. And then she stopped bearing Yehuda from the, is, is related to Hoda'ah, to thanks. The, the root of that would be to give thanks. So that's the name Yehuda. And she was a master of giving thanks. That was her expertise. Therefore, her lineage was, um, was adept at that. Then if we go back to source two again, let's talk about Rachel. It continues, it says, Rachel, Rachel grasped the spindle of silence. Her expertise was silence and her descendants were adept in keeping secrets. So we've talked about Rachel in a previous class, um, but the, you know, the, the, the prime example of Rachel being able to keep silent is that she does not reveal to Yaakov, to Jacob, that she has given the signs to, well, even before that, Lavan plans to trick Yaakov and to switch Leah for Rachel. Rachel is concerned for Leah's embarrassment if, if, you know, if Yaakov rejects her. So he, she, Rachel helps Leah ensure that she's not rejected. He, she, she gives her the signs. So she very um, skillfully remains silent 
And, uh, and that's her ability not to reveal secrets. She does not reveal what is going on to Yaakov in order to, to spare her sister embarrassment. We actually discussed a later episode where Leah kind of um, says something that, that seems just so out of, out of place when she accuses Rachel you know, you, you took my husband and now you want to take my, my flowers, my dudaim. So episode that we talked about where Rachel doesn't really respond to that. She says, okay, you know, fine, I'll, I'll take the dudaim and, you know, we'll make a deal. But she doesn't get upset. Again, she holds herself back. She restrains herself from, from responding. So Rachel is the master of silence and her descendants were adept in keeping secrets. So her second son, Binyamin, Benjamin, um, so the Torah teaches us that there were stones on the breastplate of the high priest. There were 12 stones. Each one represented a different tribe. And one of them was called Yashpeh. Yashpeh represented the tribe of Binyamin. And the Talmud teaches us it was called Yashpeh because that referred to Binyamin because Yeshpeh. It means he had a mouth, meaning he could have spoken. He could have spoken up, but he didn't. What could he have said? What's it talking about? So when the brothers sold Yosef, according to this Midrash, Binyamin was aware of that. Now, there may be different opinions about that, but according to this Midrash, Binyamin was aware that the brothers had sold Yosef, and yet he didn't reveal it to his father. Now you ask, why not? You know, Why didn't he reveal it to his father? Shouldn't he have told him what happened? So it's an excellent question. The, the most basic answer is because he knew that God was withholding it from Yaakov. Yaakov was a prophet. If God wanted Yaakov to know what had happened, that, that the brothers had sold Yosef, then God would have told him. So Binyamin didn't want to be the one to, to reveal it. He sensed that this was God's plan, this was God's will, that Yaakov not know. But again, Binyamin is adept in keeping silent, keeping a secret. And he is a descendant. He is the, the son of Rachel, of Rachel. Then it says... Um, Shaul, the first king of Israel, is also a descendant of Rachel through Yosef. She, he's a, from the tribe of Ephraim. And when Shaul was first anointed king, he was anointed in secret by the prophet Shmuel, the prophet Samuel. And he didn't tell, the verse says, he did not tell him of the matter. He, it's, he has this exchange with his uncle and he, he doesn't tell him that he's king yet. He's able to hold that secret, which is what he was supposed to do at that point in time. And then finally, we have Esther. Esther also from the tribe of um, Binyamin. Esther, um, we know she's in the palace of Achashverosh, and Mordechai instructs her not to reveal who she is, where she comes from. And indeed, that's what she does. Esther did not tell of her kindred, of her family, of who her family was, or her nation. So Esther, again, as a descendant of Rachel, excels in this trait of remaining silent. So we have, we have Leah, the master of praise. We have Rachel, Rachel, the master of silence. Now these are two opposite um, traits, but they could coexist in one person, certainly. So praise is, and thanks, gratitude is, or the ability to express gratitude is taking what's inside and really just letting it loose, letting it out. You know, profusely thanking others, certainly praising God, profusely thanking God. That's taking what's inside and letting it, letting it out. 
the ability to keep silent is the opposite. It's taking what's inside, what you want to say, or what, uh, and, and holding back, restraining, restraining from letting it out. And each one excelled in, in a different attribute. It was seen in their offspring, but they, but in truth, they, as the builders of Israel, they passed these traits on to all, all descendants of Israel. I want to just circle back to Yehuda for a second, because as we mentioned, it seems out of place in this midrash. It's supposed to be telling us, giving us examples of those of descendants of Leah who were grateful, who had gratitude. And yet then it says that Yehuda admitted to what he had done with Tamar. And what does that have to do with gratitude? So the, the answer is that it doesn't necessarily have to do with gratitude per se, but that we find in Hebrew that the word for giving thanks and the word for admitting is the same word. In Hebrew, to give thanks is hoda'a, and to admit to something is hoda'a. Now, why is that? Why, why is it that the same word exists for giving thanks and for admitting to something? So Rav Yitzchak Hutner explains that there's a very good reason for this. The reason he says is because, you know, deep down, everybody wants to be able to um, be able to rely on themselves, to not have to need others. And when we do need the help of others, maybe we have a certain, um, you know, certain basic reaction to try to deny it or to try to ignore it that we needed the help of others, that we needed somebody else to provide for us or to give to us, to lend us a hand, to acknowledge it, to give thanks is really to admit that someone else has done good for us. It's to overcome that and admit to it, to acknowledge it. And, uh, and, and that, you know, this time I didn't, I couldn't do it on my own. I needed your help. And it's sometimes hard for someone to admit that, but that is a central aspect of being able to express gratitude, to give thanks. And therefore it makes a lot of sense that it's the same word because really giving things is really an admission of sorts. So we have hoda'a is to, is to admit. Yehuda admits to what he had done. And hoda'a is to give thanks. We admit to that what somebody else has done for us and we don't deny it. And, uh, and that's, that's the trick of being able to express gratitude and to recognize what others do for us. So therefore it fits right in. It comes from the same, the same source. Leah who excelled in, in expressing gratitude and being able to admit that, we're, that something came from someone else, something came from God, it didn't come from her. That's the, the, the same, that's the trait she passes on to her offspring. In Yehuda, we see it uh, manifest in a slightly different way. It manifests not in admitting to what someone else has done in gratitude, but admitting to what he has done, to admitting to his wrong. And, uh, and, and, but ultimately, it does come from the same, the same place, and therefore it fits in the list of what she has, the expertise the trait that she has passed on to her descendants and onto us as well. Now, 
as I said, I want us to focus mainly on Leah, but we'll just say a word about Rachel before we talk about Leah. So, so Rachel, we're saying, excels in remaining silent, in holding back, in restraining herself. So we, in a previous class, when we did speak about Rachel, we presented one example of that, which was where she did a great kindness and she didn't tell about it. She didn't tell Leah what she had done for her. That's how we explained it. So that's one way that somebody holds back, but there's other scenarios that, of course, we need to, we need to, to work on this and master this ability you know, not to say something. So certainly the examples it gives in this Midrash are secrets or information that shouldn't be, that you're not supposed to share. So sometimes we really wanna share it. We really wanna tell, it's hard to hold back, but we, but we, we, we don't. In the example of Rachel, she, it was very hard for her to give, you know, to not tell Yaakov what was going on. In fact, this was like her life on the line in a certain way. She didn't know that after she allowed Leah to marry Yaakov, that she would be able to marry Yaakov also after that. For all she knew, this was it. You know, she was giving up her chance. And so it was very difficult for her to hold back. But she did. She restrained herself. And that's this amazing attribute. One of the most important areas for us to apply this is when it comes to Lashon Hara, when it comes to saying something bad about another person. We have such an urge when we have something, you know, a good line, a good joke, a little fun to poke at someone, you know, something we can't believe somebody did. We just want to tell our friend, another person about it. And it's so hard not to. And it's especially difficult because the concept of withholding this type of thing doesn't really exist in the world outside of, you know, outside of our of our world. So there's no concept of Lashon Hara in the wider society, really. Yeah, you can't do like slander if you're gonna like ruin the person, but there's very, very little that you, that, that you can't say about someone else. So it's hard, it's so hard to hold back. But that's this trait that of, of Rachel, the ability to remain silent when we want to say something and to hold ourselves back. Story goes that somebody spread a rumor about another person and he felt bad afterwards. So he went to the rabbi to ask him what he could do. So the rabbi told him, go to the store and buy a bag of seeds and then go to an open field and scatter the seeds uh, into the wind and then come back to me um, a week later after that. So the man did that. He went, he bought seeds, he went to the field, he threw them into the, into the wind and then he went back to the rabbi. So he said, okay, I did what you said. So the rabbi said, okay, great. Now go back to the field and pick up all the seeds. So the man said, that's impossible. They're, they've scattered far and wide. How am I possibly going to pick up all the seeds? I'm not gonna be able to find them. So the rabbi said, exactly. Now you understand when we say, when we say something about someone, you started a rumor about someone. So you can't, there's no, taking that back, you know, once you've said it and that, then that person tells someone else and then there's no pulling it, there's no reining it back in. Once you post that thing on Facebook, right? There's no, uh, there's no taking it back often, you know, unless you catch it right away. So, uh, or Twitter, whatever, you know, wherever, whatever people do out there. So, uh, so that's, uh, you know, and, and it, of course this doesn't apply only to speech. It also applies to texts and posts and whatever, right? That once something is out there, 
There isn't really, we can't really pull it back. And that's that the trait of Rachel to restrain ourselves, just hold back. We don't have to say it. We don't have to post it. We don't have to repeat it. And uh, it's challenging at times. That was something that Rachel, Rachel excelled in and, uh, and is able to, to pass down to, to her descendants. Okay, so let's, let's now shift gears and, and talk about Leah. So I wanna look at a series of verses and try to pull out some ideas from, from these verses. And that is over here on source number three. It's chapter 29. And this is while Yaakov is living in Lavan's house, his uncle Lavan, he marries, um, he marries Leah. Seven days later, he marries Rachel. And now he's working for Lavan and he begins to have children. So it says in verse 30, and he came also to Rachel after he married her. And he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he worked with him yet another seven years. So an interesting verse, he marries Rachel. And then it says he loved Rachel more than Leah. Now that implies that he loved Leah, but he just loved Rachel more. Then it says, 31, and the Lord saw that Leah was hated. So he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So God saw that Leah was hated, even though the implication in the previous verse that he, was that he loved her, but just he loved Rachel more. But now it says that he hated Leah, apparently. And therefore, God, God opened her womb. She was barren. God opened her womb. Now she can have a child um, in order that Yaakov should, she should grow fond of her. He, she would provide him with a child, and then Yaakov would grow fond of her. 32, and Leah conceived and bore a son, and she named him Reuven. For she said, because the Lord has seen my affliction, for now my husband will love me. So in the Hebrew, that verse, um, in the Hebrew, it reads, she called him Reuven because she said, ki Hashem So ra'a is similar to Reuven. So God has seen my affliction. And now he'll, now my husband will love me. That's what she said. It was a prayer perhaps. And, uh, and she named him Reuven. Then 33, she conceived again and bore a song. And she said, since the Lord has heard that I am hated. So now she's saying she's hated again. So she said in previously that my husband will love me. She had hoped. Now she's saying she's hated. And, uh, but since the Lord has heard, her, he Shama, Shama is here. So she names him Shimon. So he gave me this one too. So she named him Shimon. And 34, and she conceived again and bore a son. And she said, now this time my husband will be attached to me. Finally, he will be attached to me. The Hebrew is Yilaveh. He will be, he will escort me. He will be attached to me. For I bore him three sons. Therefore, he, he named him Levi changes to he, which we have to understand. It sounds like Yaakov named him. But it says, she said that therefore, therefore God, um, sorry, now this time my husband will be attached to me. And the root is Yilaveh. He'll be attached to me. Yilaveh is like Levi. So therefore he named him Levi. Okay, and then the last verse is about Yehuda. We want to come back to that at the end. Um, but we'll start with, with what we have here. So, so these are 
interesting verses to say the least, you know, interesting choices of, of names, decisions of why, seemingly why to name them these names. It's all pretty interesting. Let's go back to the, the beginning. So verse 30, it said, he also loved Rachel more than Leah. Um, now, that implies, as I mentioned, that he loved Leah. He just loved Rachel more. However, in the next verse, it says that God saw that Leah was hated. So which one is it? Did he love her or did he hate her? And again, in the next verse, it says that, sorry, not in the next one, but in 33, she says, since the Lord has heard that I am hated. So I did, which one is it? So, so Rav Shimon Schwab, he, he says, furthermore, besides for those questions, also like, can we really think that Yaakov, you know, the great patriarch, hated Leah? It seems excessive. In fact, the Torah forbids one to hate someone else in their heart. So what, what, what does it mean over here? So he says the following. He says that, uh, no. you know, it says that the Lord saw that Leah was hated. What is it? you know, God saw. So, so what does that mean? So Rabbi Schwab says that when it comes to a husband and a wife, it's different than, you know, when we talk about uh, hate or the perception of hate, it's not, it's not the same hate as, uh, as between enemies who hate each other. He says, when, if a man loves another woman, or it probably doesn't have to be a woman, but loves something else, more seemingly loves football, you know, more than his wife, then, uh, then God views that as hate. So, so the verse says that he loved Rachel more than Leah. He loved Leah, but he loved Rachel more. And then it says, and God saw that Leah was hated. So he says, you see that when, he, when a husband loves someone more than, than his wife, now it happens to be this is another wife, but when he loves someone more than his wife, then God, God views that as if he hates her. Now, why would that be? So I think it's very simple. I think that that's because that's how she's going to view it. That's how this, this wife is going to view it. If, uh, if the husband loves anything more than her, then it's not just like, okay, you know, he loves me a lot, but he just loves that a little bit more. Now, that's not how a woman sees it. She will view it as he hates me. If I'm, if I'm not number one, then that means that he hates me. And therefore, God viewed it that way. And therefore, God wanted to, uh, wanted to endear Leah to Yaakov, and he opened her womb and gave her a son. Um. Now, he starts to, he, we start to, to find out the names of these sons as they're born. So the first one is Reuven. And why is he called Reuven? Because the Lord has seen my affliction, which in Hebrew is Ra'ah Hashem Be'ani, which sounds kind of like Reuven. So the Sfarna, one of the early Italian commentators, he, he suggests that the, the, you know, the name doesn't exactly match the description or the reasoning. He says this, these names existed already. They, she wasn't making up new names. They were names that existed in their society. 
and she chose the names um, sort of what what fits her situation. So she felt that you know God. She said God has seen my affliction. So I'm going to pick a name that is similar, but the fact that it doesn't sound exactly like that is because it, it, it isn't exactly. It was a name that was already, already in existence. Um, now, the commentators point out a little discrepancy between verse 32 and verse 33. In verse 32, she says, because the Lord has seen my affliction. In verse 33, she says, since the Lord has heard that I am hated. So it changes from seen to heard. The Lord has seen my affliction, has heard my, has seen my affliction. The Lord has heard that I am hated. So why the change? Why does she change from seen to heard? So one of the great commentators, the Malbim explains that, um, that the idea is if the person was aware of their pain, and prayed for it. So then if they prayed for it, then God will say, then we'll say that God heard her. But if she didn't really realize he or she, the pain, the, the difficulty, they, they, they may have been in, in a difficult situation, but they didn't realize. So then, and they only know, you know, because, and only God knew about it. So then it says God saw. God heard would be heard her prayers because she acknowledged it, she expressed it. Saw would be, she, you know, God saw it. She didn't even necessarily see it. So he says that at the beginning, Leah didn't quite realize that Yaakov hated her or despised her. She didn't realize that at first. And, and uh, maybe she, she felt a lack of love, but she didn't really feel hate. So I guess this, this approach kind of differs than what I said before. Once there's a lack of love, she, you know, she'll, she'll, she'll sense hate, but this is suggesting, no, she, she could be, there could be a point where she feels she, she doesn't sense love, but she doesn't sense hate either. And, uh, and she, you know, but she thought that she hadn't, she hadn't had a child yet. And once she has a child, yet she has a child, then, then Yaakov will warm up to her and she'll, you know, then he'll start to love me. That's what she thought. Um, but and and but that didn't really happen. So so at first she calls the first son. She says the Lord has seen my affliction. Meaning she didn't really sense it. God sensed it, and uh, but she but 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 she didn't. And therefore she said the Lord saw my affliction when she. But she saw that I guess that at that point things weren't weren't improving right away. Um, but she thought you know maybe now now my husband will love me. Um, she thought apparently he didn't show her fondness and uh and then so the next child she says the lord has heard that i am hated you know she still doesn't have she still hasn't uh he still hasn't warmed up to her then um she has another child her third child and she calls him she calls him levy and here she says why is he called a levy because now, you know, this time, you know, three's the charm. This time, my husband will be attached to me, for I bore him three sons. And, uh, and indeed, I think that, that maybe three times was the charm. And, uh, and, and after this, we no longer see that, that, that Yaakov has any, uh, 
you know, that, that we, there's no longer any acknowledgement. The Torah doesn't mention anything about him disliking her or preference for Rachel after, after this. So, um, Okay, there's we could talk. I'm not going to go really too much into why she about the name Levi. There's there is a question here, you know, because it says that he named him Levi, right? It, did she name him Levi or did he name him Levi? So one simple answer is that uh, at this point she saw that she saw this time my husband will be attached to me, which the Hebrew is Yelave. And when, when she said that, so Yaakov heard, he said, okay, let's name him Levi, you know, to acknowledge that. That's the most simple way to, to read it. There are other ways, but let's, let's leave it at that. I want to kind of pose a uh, broader question here, which is, you know, what kind of names are these? And or what kinds of things are these to be thinking about when naming a child? It just seems like what, she just seems to have uh, maybe Things these, maybe these things aren't shouldn't be so important at this at this moment. Why is she so caught up? Why isn't she coming up with like more lofty, you know, lofty ideals to name her children about? Uh, I don't know, you know, more whatever names we pick nowadays. You know, my God is you know my God is my my savior. You know, all these kinds of names that 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 are that you know names that have to do with praise. Which will have to do with her fourth name, but she's she she seems very focused on on herself, on her relationship with her husband, um, you know. And she says she each time she she says you know this time you know God has seen my affliction. Now my husband will love me. The Lord says her that I am hated. He'll give you know. So he gave me this one. This time my husband will be attached to me. Just seems like very um, mundane, maybe. Uh, that she's focusing on these things. This is Leah, the great matriarch. So the um, the Berdichev Rebbe, or Levi Yitzchak Mi Berdichev, he he says Leah here is teaching us something very important, which is that we sometimes think that we can't talk to God about such insignificant things like, and they're not insignificant, but we think that they're insignificant before God. You know, my, my petty problems, my little relationships, they aren't working out, whether it's a friend, whether it's, uh, you know, an argument with the spouse, whatever it is, we think, you know, this is, this is something that isn't, you know, entirely for me to work out. And, it, uh, you know, and we definitely have to do our share, but we think we can't, we can't pray for these things. What is God, the lofty, great God, King of Kings, creator of the world. What does he care about this? This isn't important to him. And we think, you know, we save our prayers for, for the big things. And, and Rebbe Yitzchak of Bardichev says that that's a mistake. And Leah is coming to teach us just the opposite, that God, God looks at, God considers, God cares about the most minute details of our lives. The smallest details are important to him. And, uh, and prayer can, can affect even those smallest, those smallest details. And that's what Leah is teaching us this. She's, you know, at all times, she's praying at every moment here. 
she, she's, she sees it as a moment that she can grab another prayer to God for, you know, for, for a better life, for an improved life. And that's really, again, maybe an expression of her trait in a different way of what's inside. She, she brings it out. She lets it out. So she lets it out when she, when she get, expresses gratitude. She lets it out in prayer. And Leia was someone who excelled in prayer. Besides for these, uh, besides for this, the Midrash teaches us that Leia was actually destined to marry Asaph. You know, everyone said the older daughter will marry the older son. The younger daughter, Rachel, will marry the younger son, Yaakov. So Asaph was, was destined for Leia. And Leia would ask, you know, so tell me what he's like, right? Let me hear. And they would tell him, they would tell her, you know, he's a murderer. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's a terrible guy. So this obviously upset her. So she prayed and she prayed and she prayed and she prayed so much. The Torah describes her eyes as soft from all the tears that she cried. She excelled in, you know, let it out, let out the prayers, let them spill forth, let what's inside come out. And, uh, and that's what she did, and she and she moved worlds because of it. She she literally moved worlds with uh, with you know by by allowing this 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 you know change to to occur that she would now be able to marry Yaakov. So so much changed as a result of that. So here again, that's an expression of this, and this is something again that she passed on to her descendants. I saw an interesting idea quoting the name of Rav Hirsch, of Shamshin Raphael Hirsch, in Jewish law, so there are different requirements of prayer for men and for women. So, so by Torah law, you know, we maybe, it, it would be the same really. By Torah law, it's, a, it's, a bit, it's debated exactly what the obligation by, by Torah law, by biblical law, but the opinion of the Rambam of Maimonides is that everyone is required to pray, by biblical law, by Torah law, once a day. Once a day, there's no script for what it is. Once a day, by according to the Torah, we are required to pray to God. Now, the rabbis enacted much more than that, that, um, that certainly men are required to, to pray two and now three times a day. And there's specific times when, when they are required to pray. Women... Um, are less bound by those times. Again, women should pray, are supposed to pray at least once a day. Some take on to pray more than that, but it's not as, not as scripted. So Rav Hirsch says that the reason is because women don't need a uh, script, you know, a schedule for prayer. Women are always praying. Women have that within them to be able to, at all times, Turn to God in in prayer. Men need a little bit more uh, of a of a of a schedule, more of a, a rigorous schedule to keep them keep them on track. That's how he explains this uh, this difference, and that's this this trait of 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 Leah. That uh, you know, even the smallest things, even the smallest things, the 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 the, the, the very details of her life, she she turns to them and and she turns to God in prayer for them, and that's. A lesson for all of us, not just for women, but also for men, um, that we, 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 you know, God wants to hear our prayers and, and don't think for a moment that something is not important to him. God cares about every detail. 
and uh, and and it's fair and fitting to to pray for those things. And of course, it's tremendously helpful for our relationship with God when we when we pray to God, when we speak to Him. Um, that was something we spoke about in the last course about prayer. I think that was the last course. Okay, now um, now let's get to the the final step here, which is Yehuda. So, so after she names, after she has three children, then she has her fourth child. And that's verse 35. And she conceived again and bore a son. And she said, this time I will thank the Lord. This time I will thank the Lord. Therefore, she named him Yehuda. Yehuda related to the word Odeh or Hoda'ah that we mentioned before. Yehuda means basically you know, thanks. So she named her fourth son Yehuda. Um, now the commentaries are bothered. Why did she wait? You know, what's this like this time I'm going to, to thank God? Why not? Why didn't she thank God the first child, the second child, the third child? What was special about the fourth child that all of a sudden now she's going to thank God? So Rashi explains that the reason is because Leah was aware through divine providence, either her own or maybe from Yaakov, somehow she knew that Yaakov was going to have 12 sons. And she knew that Yaakov had four wives, Leah, Rachel, and then the two maidservants. So if she had, if he had four wives and he's going to have 12 sons, so that's three per wife. So she thought that, you know, she knew she was going to have three. That wasn't extra. Now she all of a sudden had a fourth. She got more than her share. So now she gives special thanks to God on the fourth child. That's why she said, this time, every previously what came to me was, was destined for me. But this time, this time on the fourth time, she gives, she gives thanks to God. The Ksav Sofer, Rav Shimon Sofer gives a different explanation. He says that um, there's an idea that God, God helps somebody who is pursued, somebody who is weak, somebody who is in, in a difficult situation, more, more than someone who's advantaged. And so the, the first three children that she had, she was still, as we described, you know, her relationship with Yaakov wasn't, wasn't, so, wasn't so great yet. She still perceived that Yaakov disliked her um, at the beginning. She, she maybe didn't realize, so she said, you know, after the first child, now my husband will love me. Didn't quite happen that way. So then she said, that, you know, the Lord has heard that I am hated. And then finally, after the third son, she says, now this time my husband will be attached. Now I've had three. Now it's going to be good. But all those three were born when she was still the, the pursued one, so to speak, the weak one, the one who was disadvantaged before Rachel. Now she has three children. Now, apparently, that was enough to endear her to Yaakov. Now it's not as natural that God would respond to her needs and her prayers. But yet, even then, she then has a fourth child. She says, oh, now, now it's really what to praise for. Now I'm not even the, you know, the disadvantaged uh, wife that, uh, that's, that's being given a, you know, a lift. But now I'm already equal and still God has awarded me with, a, with, a, with a, a son. So therefore, she gives special thanks. 
Now the Talmud says as follows. It's in source number four on the sheet. Rabbi Yochanan said in the name of Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai. From the day the Holy One, blessed be he, created the world, no one thanked the Holy One, blessed be he, until Leah came and thanked him. As it is stated, this verse, she became pregnant, gave birth to a son, and she said, this time I will give thanks to God. And thus he was called Judah, Yehuda. Now that is a very perplexing passage in the Talmud. Nobody, from the day the Holy One, blessed be he, created the world, no one thanked the Holy One until Leah. Really? We, you know, all the, all the forefathers, Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, you know, before Leah never thanked God. In fact, we've learned, it's not explicit in the Torah, but the Midrash that, that Avram used to, used to have guests over and he would say, you know, when they would try to thank him, he'd say, don't thank me, thank God, right? Certainly Avraham had thanked God in the past. So it's very difficult to understand. The Midrashim speak about how Adam, Adam had thanked God so what do we mean that, what does this passage in the Talmud mean? That she was the first one to thank God. So it must mean that there was something unique about her thanks that was, you know, or something original, something different about this. It's not, she's not the first one to ever give thanks, but perhaps she's the first one to give thanks under certain circumstances or with a certain intent, a certain uh, meaning. So, so Rav Schwab suggests that she was the first one to give thanks without specifying what she was giving thanks for. This time I thank God. Why? So what was, what was it? It was that she was thanking God that, that God had, that she had received something from God. That's what she was thankful for. Like a, a person who receives a gift from a king so it's nice that you got a gift, whatever it is, but in a certain sense, it might be even greater that you received it from the king. That's, that's extra special. And so he says that that's what over here, she just said, she didn't say, I'm thanking God for the son, although that's what um, definitely um, was the catalyst for her to give thanks. But she gave general thanks. She, gave, she expressed gratitude in general to God at this point that I feel so blessed to have received something from God. And that was something that was unique, um, that she was the first to, to come along and thank God in that way. And, uh, and this kind of ties back to what we spoke about when we spoke about Yaakov and his jugs and, and recognizing that all that we have comes from God. There's two sides to that. There's one is therefore there's, there's a purpose and to, to what we have. It should be used to serve God, but also there's an appreciation wherever I have, you know, wow, you know, who gave this to me? I'm so fortunate to, uh, to that, 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 to have received something, to have received anything from God. Another possible approach is that, is, is, is again explained by Rav Shimon Sofer. So he says that he asks a question. If you look at source number five, it says in the Talmud, one who reads Hallel every day, Hallel is a series of psalms that we usually reserve for holidays. And we say Hallel on days that a, miracle, a great miracle has occurred. So like Hanukkah, we'll say Hallel. Um, so one who reads Hallel every day is tantamount to one who curses and blasphemes God. Wow, what a statement. 
If you read Hallel every day, that's like blasphemy. That's like cursing God. What does that mean? So there's many approaches in the commentators, but the approach of Rav Shimon Sofer, the Ksav Sofer, is as follows. Hallel, like I said, is an expression of thanks to God for miracles, for great miracles. Um, of course, though, a person has to give thanks every day, not just for the opening miracles, not just for, you know, God splitting the sea or God, uh, God, you know, performing the miracles of Hanukkah. On a daily basis, we have to express thanks to God. You know, I, I thank God every morning that, he's, he's, that I wake up in the morning, that I can breathe, that I have, that I have food, that I can see, that I can walk. All of these things we, we need to thank God for. Um, and now when somebody has a great miracle performed for them, you know, or, you know, they, somebody you know, is in a terrible accident and they walk away unscathed, what a miracle. So of course they're going to thank God. Of course they are going to be so, you know, tremendous gratitude to God. But on a daily basis, you know, not necessarily, not as much. So he says that what the Talmud is saying is that if somebody says halal every day, what they're basically doing is thanking God for great miracles on a daily basis. Well, that's going to overshadow and, and take away from our ability and our focus to thank God for the little things, for the most basic things. And therefore, it's improper to, to say halal every day. To say halal every day is blasphemy in a certain way. You are ignoring all the good that God does, you know, in, in a natural way for us. Only the supernatural is worth thanking God for. The natural, it's natural. It just happens. I don't have to thank God for that. So therefore, Hallel is to be reserved for special days, for special events, to acknowledge the great miracles, great events, you know, splitting of the sea, Hanukkah miracles. That's where Hallel is, is reserved for. But on a daily basis, we thank God for the little things, for the basic things, for the things that seem so natural and, uh, and, and not just for miracles. So, so the Ksav Sofer says that's what was unique about Leia here. You know, previously, certainly the forefathers, the patriarchs had, had thanked God, but they kind of lived on a different plane than her. They, they lived with, uh, with much, you know, with prophecy, with supernatural. And so it wasn't as much of an expression. That, of course, they thanked God even for the basic things, but they were surrounded by, by the miraculous. And, and therefore, it wasn't as unique, as special for them to give thanks. In a certain way, she, she was expressing thanks on a new level. Someone who was just living a more natural life and, uh, and going through childbirth. You know, there were other women who also had four children, but, uh, but didn't necessarily see it as so miraculous, so amazing. But... Uh, but she, she saw it that way. She was able to recognize, even in the natural order of things, the, the greatness, the miraculousness, and the, and the need to thank God, even for the small things. And that's what was special about her things. To add to that, though, is, you know, we have, you know, many milestones where we feel, you know, we, the need to thank God that we, that we achieved this milestone. It could be a marriage, it could be a child, it could be a job. Whatever it is, we... We celebrate and we thank God when we reach those moments, but then they pass. 
and the gratitude dissipates. So Rabbi Avram Pam said that was what was unique about, about Leah here, was that she took that gratitude and she named her son Yehuda. That was something that was going to last. Every time she called him Yehuda, right? Every time she will be repeating that gratitude and reminding her of that gratitude that she has for that moment. So it wasn't a one-time thing. It wasn't just thank God and then move on with life. But she chose the name Yehuda. This was what was, I guess, new and unique. And nobody had done this yet, was to put it into a name, to be able to continuously express gratitude for something that God had done for them. That was something that she that was new here. And, uh, and that's what the sages are praising her for, saying she's the first to, to give thanks, first one to name her child, the name that will mean that she will continue to give thanks throughout, throughout her lifetime. And that was very special. And that is that ability to praise and give thanks to God is something that she passes on to her descendants. And it's very interesting that, that, that the Jewish people are referred to now and for the last couple thousand years through the name Yehuda. We are called Yehudim, Jews, Jews, you know, Judim. It all comes from the word Yehuda. And, uh, and that speaks to this ability that Leah has imbued within us to, to be those who see, you know, recognize the good and thank and praise God for that good. So the, uh, so the, I guess the, to, to wrap it up, you know, we've spoken about so many different traits of the, of the forefathers, the patriarchs, the matriarchs, but tonight we focused on, on Leah and on Rachel. Rachel was excelled in the ability to restrain actually to have something inside and hold it inside and that's a very important thing for us as well a secret to be able to hold it in Leia excelled in taking something that's inside and expressing it expressing you know a, a desire through prayer bringing it out if, if it, we had the desires there so just start talking to god start praying start praying even for the the, the most basic things the simple things Pray for them. And also to recognize the good that we have to, uh, and, and to express it, to bring it out, to, you know, don't just, and it goes for with uh, when we're dealing with people as well, right? We could feel gratitude, but not so, you know, unless we actually express it, then it's limited in what it does. When we express it, it, uh, it takes it to a different level. And so that was Leia, something Leia that excelled in, was taking the gratitude that was inside expressing it and it's especially manifest in at this moment she names her son Yehuda thanking God for all the good that she that, that he has graced her with and we continue to carry that name Yehudim as those who hopefully continue the legacy of Leah in being able to recognize all that God does and to express our thanks and our praise to him okay